Um, while I kind of get set up here, my name is Aaron Maines. Um, I am not the pastor here. I'm actually um, studying under Jay, who is our lead pastor. I've been studying under him for about a year and a half now. Uh, he's been pouring into me and training me up to be able to come, to be able to speak, to be able to uh, study and reflect upon God's word and then bring it here today. Um, so I can thank him for that. He's not here because yesterday, as I said, he just moved. He just moved to a new house uh, closer to our church. And I'm sure many of you, a show of hands, how many people were there yesterday with Jay? So sore backs, maybe a little bit more tired, um, but thank you for being there with him to help him move. Um, so today... We're continuing our series through Colossians. It's a 12-week study, and to be honest, I don't remember what week we're on, so maybe somebody knows, but that's not necessarily important today. Week three? Okay. Okay. In this, in this study of Colossians, we've been, we've been reading about um, Paul, and if you're familiar at all with the New Testament, Paul was an apostle. He was called by God. Um, he actually witnessed Christ after Christ's death and resurrection on the road to Damascus. Paul was a persecutor of the church. And on that road to Damascus experience, Paul saw the living Christ, um, was redirected and changed from a person who persecuted the church, chased after Christians, um, executed them, witnessed their stonings, and was changed into a person who then carried the message of the gospel of Jesus' death, his resurrection, and brought it back out to the world with the same people he had just persecuted. Um, so it's an amazing story. It's an amazing book of the Bible. Um, Paul is writing from a prison. Um, he's writing to a church in, and I may mess up this pronunciation, but Colossae, is that correct? Colossae? Wow, all right. Um, he had never personally stepped foot in this church. He had never personally met this church. But, you know, they didn't have the internet or things like that. So people had given him reports about this church's faith because of the message that he and other Christians had spread. So Paul, in prison, um, has a heart for this church, and he wants to write to this church primarily to then reiterate that gospel and then also to... Um, kind of give the church some footing and some grounding that would help them decide between truth and error because there was a problem in the church where there was some error creeping in. So that's a little bit of background on the book of Colossians, and that's what we're talking about today. So if you want to join me, I'm going to be in Colossians 1, verses 24 to 29. Okay, give you a second. I don't know what page that's on. If anybody has the Bible in front of them, it will be displayed, but you can shout out that page if you get there. 820, page 820 on the Bibles in front of you. Okay. Now, I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ 
in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Let's pray. Father, we we come here today because we want to hear your voice, Lord. We come from all different circumstances, all different experiences, all different backgrounds. God, but we know that you are all sufficient to meet every single person today in this room by your Holy Spirit, Lord. Not by the words that I speak, Lord, but by your Spirit which speaks through me. I ask you that you would be here, that these would be your words I share, that the name of Jesus would be lifted high today, and that you would change our perspective, that we would not leave today this place the same as what we came in, God, but that you would do a work in us, change us, change our hearts, and also change our minds. Lord, we know you're faithful. We know that you love to do that for your people, your church. So God, would you do that today for us? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. A little bit of a disclaimer. Um, some of you already know. If, if I didn't shake your hand, if I seem distant, antisocial, if I backed away or ran away from you today, it wasn't because you smell or because I am antisocial. I am sometimes, but not today. Um, last night, my wife came down with the stomach flu, and I might be carrying that. I hope not. If I leave running out of here, we'll know. Um, and it might be a shorter service. I have butterflies in my stomach. I'm hoping they're the good butterflies that come with speaking and not the angry butterflies that come with anything else. So, um, I say that somewhat jokingly, but also, if you could just be praying for Steph. She has the much harder job today of not sleeping. We both didn't sleep, but she didn't sleep while she was sick, and then she's taking care of our two kids right now. So um, just keep that in mind, um, and I would appreciate your prayers for that. Okay. So I wanted to pose a, que- a question as I began um, that would frame how we view this passage and our thinking from here on out. Um, the question I had to pose was, this is something I felt God laid on my heart, and it was a question that he was kind of wrestling with me as I was reflecting through this passage. Have you ever had an experience, okay? Have you ever had an experience um, that was so weighty, that was so, I don't know what the right words are, maybe profound or shaping. Maybe that's a good word. Have you ever had an experience that was so weighty and shaping that that experience forever changed how you, thought, how, how you saw things previously to that experience? Okay? If you've had an experience like that, and maybe something's come into mind right now, um, for some of us, it might be the moment when we heard 
the gospel and our hearts, it resounded, right? And it was like, this is it. You know, this, this is, I don't care what else is happening right now, this is what life is about and this is what I want to live for. It may be that experience when you heard the gospel. It could be a lot of different experiences. Um, but I kind of want you to keep that in mind. When I first read this passage, the first thing that stuck out to me, and it kind of rose up among every word in this passage, was the phrase, now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. So boil it down. Paul, in prison, because of living for the gospel in a place where that was like, Taboo, and that's not even the right word. Taboo is like way too easy. Paul, living for the gospel, in prison, writes to a church whom he's never met, and yet he's suffering on account of them, for them. Kind of like if you're in battle, if there's a battle going on, and let's say the commander of your troop is an old war veteran, and he sees something going down in the battle, and he realizes, you know, everybody in my company is going to suffer for this. Everybody in my company could be potentially, their lives could be lost. And that commander decides, you know, in some way, in some, you know, picture your action movie, to draw enemy fire to himself so that his troop can be cleared of that. That's kind of the best parallel for what Paul is doing in this place. And with all that, he writes the words, I rejoice in my suffering. And when that when I read that, that hit me, I was like, Okay, Lord, I'm gonna need your help. I don't I don't even understand how I don't understand how those two things go together in my mind. Now, if we've been in the church, if we've like been around um Bible studies enough, we can intellectual, intellectually read that and come up with an answer and figure it out. Um, but what God was pressing on my heart, it really is not about an intellectual understanding. Paul is not writing this from an intellectual understanding. He's writing this from a reality that this is true in my heart. I rejoice in, my, in what I am suffering for you. That kind of blew my mind. Is that... Does, does that phrase just kind of like blow your mind today? Paul's saying something radical, okay? He's making a radical claim about the common Christian life. In reflection, my heart immediately did not want to hear that because it was not my common Christian life in my experience. And you may be joining me that in that today. But today we want to come together and kind of put our understanding beside us and try to get a fresh understanding from God. Because if this can be true for Paul, it can be true for us today. And how many of us want that today? All right. So the reality check that I'm bringing today is that this is a tough passage. It's a tough passage because of that first verse. It's possible 
to look at this passage from the perspective of modern-day America. You know, modern-day America, we can sometimes look at how other people live and think like, oh, I'm kind of on the lower end or whatever, like I'm suffering more than they are. But the truth is, in modern-day America, no one's really suffering. Thank you. We're, you know, even the people who are living in the least in America today are living well beyond the means of people like in Haiti, where our church is going to in the, in the next few weeks. So it's possible to read this from our lens, filter this information, and we can read it and see suffering as kind of a danger to avoid. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like the way that you live, um, that you live in a way to minimize suffering or to avoid it altogether? Have you ever felt I'm not asking you to raise your hands, but you can think about that one on your own. Um, we can also review rejoicing in suffering as something like, really pious or like really religious people do and they're just making it up but you know we'll, we'll let them believe that they can do that but like that's i'm like on reality i'm on planet earth and where i'm from this doesn't happen so basically we can see this passage through the lens of our own experience we can hear the word suffering and that can bring so many different things to mind, from our experience, from others' experience, fears that we have, and those things can be magnified so that we see that, we see suffering, and we miss the truth of what Paul is saying. And that's not what we want today, and that's not what God wants. He wants us to see that this is a reality that we hear today. We're not, we're not apostles. We didn't actually physically witness the risen Jesus Christ and get commissioned by him. But it's not like Paul's this superhuman. He's a human who encountered the living God. And if you're here today and you have come to the gospel and accepted what Christ offers in the gospel, this is a reality for you and for me. So we have to recognize that. We have to recognize that we have this problem of, and I had to recognize this in reflection, that I have a problem of competing desires is the best way to say that. Um, For me, I found it was, okay, in reflection, I live a lot to avoid suffering, you know? We have LinkedIn profiles, and we set up ourselves on LinkedIn and develop contacts in the business world so that and this is me, and I hope none of my employers listen to this, but so that one day if we're to lose our jobs or something tragic were to happen, it's like we have a backup plan. And LinkedIn, hopefully somebody out there has seen my resume. They're already thinking of it, and it's going to work out. It's kind of like we, that's in a suffering avoidance, right? For me, what I realized as I read this passage is that those things, Living to avoid suffering is actually choking the word of God in my life. Just so you know, it's, this is not my perspective. This is actually true in scripture. I'm going to show Mark 4.19. Okay? And this says it better than I could ever say it. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word making it unfruitful. Let 
It's also possible to read this, think of Paul, and be like, Paul, you know, didn't, didn't you read your best life now? Don't you know that God wants you to be comfortable? He wants you to be healthy. He wants you to be wealthy and well-groomed. Doesn't, don't you know that, Paul? That's a truth. The truth is Paul has had that perspective change so that how he used to view everything has changed dramatically. So he no longer has these competing desires where one magnifies the other, where one is so much bigger than the other, like I have and like you may have today. We don't want to miss the truth that is right under our nose today. It's right in front of us. And this truth can shape the fact that we can see suffering as something that is momentary and light. A good example of kind of how Paul views this. We're going to go to Philippians 3, verses 7 and 8. He says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. I think that says it the best. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. When Paul states, now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, he's saying something radical that can be true for everybody here today. Okay, moving on to verse, the end of verse 24. Um, there's, there's something that we want to clarify that at first glance in reading this text um, can be problematic. It can seem like there's something wrong with that wording there. And I wanted to shed some light on that. Paul says the phrase, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions. Uh, First off, what Paul is not saying, Paul is not saying Jesus' sacrifice was not complete. It was not sufficient. Paul's not saying that. What Paul is saying, and this is not because I knew exactly what he meant at first, but because there's a lot of other people that wrote commentaries about this, and I, based upon my knowledge and their knowledge, I think this is a good explanation. I'm not saying it's the explanation. You can search that for yourself in Scripture. Um, Paul may be saying, and I think he's saying, I think we can stand on this ground today, that in the act of carrying the gospel to the world, suffering is an unavoidable cost. Okay? So just as Christ suffered, okay, and we know how he suffered, his suffering was not just physical. Like we know that Jesus was crucified on a cross, right? And we know that a crown of thorns was placed upon his head and that he was whipped. Those are the physical sufferings of Christ just before his crucifixion. But there's also other sufferings that Christ faced, right? And probably those are greater than his physical. He, who was perfect, okay, bore our sin for us, our imperfection, he carried on his body. And there was a spiritual aspect to Christ's suffering of 
being removed from God's presence so that he had to say, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? As he, on the cross, felt the weight of the world's sin through all time on his shoulders. Okay, That was, that was an aspect of the suffering of Christ, right? And that was an aspect that he, he knew was coming when he was in the garden. You remember what he prayed in the garden? He said, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. But not your will, I mean, but not my will, your will be done, right? We have to realize that we're not doing this Christianity thing on our own. We're doing this in the pattern of Christ. And if Christ's pattern was to say, Lord, if it's possible, take this cup away from me, but not my will, your will be done, and he was still crucified, we have to understand that suffering is going to be a cost that we bear, not in our own strength, in bringing the gospel to other people. It's going to happen. If that is going to happen, I think what we want to know today is we want to know how can we do this like Paul? How can we do this like Christ, being able to rejoice in suffering? So let's, let's just talk about this for a second. Um, this, if you're new to our church, we like to dialogue. We like to, you know, I like to ask questions, Jay likes to ask questions, and we like to talk about it so it's not just me talking. What are some of the reasons that we suffer today? What are some of the reasons we suffer? Sickness. Okay, that, yeah, that's, that's a way that we suffer. We suffer because of sickness. What would be a reason that sickness happens? Okay, right, because we weren't intended to be sick, right? We weren't intended to actually die. Um, We were intended to live forever. We're actually eternal beings, right? But when sin came into the world, that changed the game. Now we have things like sickness and things like death to contend with that we weren't intended to actually deal with. What else? What are some of the reasons that we suffer? Yeah, I'm sorry, I heard that. Depression. Depression. Okay? And I, you were just about to say something. Like yeah. yeah. It's true. I mean, it is, it is part of life, I guess. It's a good point to accept. Yeah, go ahead. Right. So we suffer as Christians because we bear the name of Jesus. Okay, very good. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, sometimes, thank you. Sometimes we suffer... Not because all the things around us and um, the things that come against us, but because we have a sin nature, right? Um, and we make, we make bad choices, poor choices. And those choices have consequences. And it's important to distinguish that um, not all suffering is a result of outside, but there is suffering as a result of sin. Yeah. Okay. That's true, and Scripture says that he's what? He's the prince of this world for a time. He has a time, and it is important to recognize that we have an enemy, and that enemy prowls around. It says like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So that's real, that's active. Thank you. Go ahead. 
Okay. That's kind of like, I guess we could characterize that as almost immaturity, right? It's kind of like, um, I don't know, viewing a, chi- viewing a child, a child like playing in the mud or whatever, and you just know like, oh, they, they just don't understand what's going to happen next. They're about to go to a picnic. They're all covered in mud, and that's not going to fly with parents. But uh, yeah, so it can be because of an, a lack of understanding, right? So God gives us understanding. On the flip side, we can see that he gives us understanding and wisdom for the purpose of what? Maturity. Okay, good. It, yes. Very good. And, it's, and like you said, it's, it's sometimes we suffer because we live in a fallen world with fallen people other than ourselves, and those fallen people can make bad choices that affect us, and we live in kind of the wake of those choices. Right. And suffering itself is complex, right? All right, so let's kind of transition a little bit, um, try to keep things moving here. Um, what, what is God's purpose? And I think I, we kind of hinted at this, or not hinted at it, but we explained in bits and pieces, but I want to focus on it now. What is God's purpose in our suffering? In, in terms of any suffering we face, not just suffering in the name of Christ, but also suffering in the name of Christ, so kind of a broader. What's God's purpose for the believer in that? Okay, spiritual growth, maturity, right? Suffering has a way of maturing us. It has a way of kind of weaning us off of things we knew before and things of this world and kind of forcing us to only have the perspective of going to God, right? What else? Right. Yeah, that was good. If I run out of here, you can just, I'm on page three. Come on up. Just have to read through the text and everything, but thank you. I, that was a, a good point. Um, so, moving on, we're now kind of transitioning into verse 25. Paul, and we can see the way in which Paul views himself, and Josh kind of pointed that out a little bit too. That um, Paul viewed himself in in a different light than when we can view ourselves. He viewed himself in a very humble position, right? Um, he saw the things, and he lists all those things that he had to endure, yet he doesn't make those the highlight. He makes those like, but here's what's actually important. Um, and we can see that in verse 25. He says, and I'm going to kind of pick up midway, it's servant, okay, and he's speaking of himself, and he calls it, I am its servant, the servant of the church, by the commission God gave me, to present to you the word of God in its fullness. So, kind of like how Josh just mentioned, with that as the focus, with the focus as, okay, here's what's actually important. The paradigm shift that I've had is the word of God, right? Jesus Christ in the flesh coming to take our our punishment, which we deserve for us, God in the flesh coming down to, to reconcile our problem with him that we started Right? With that as the focus, you can lump everything else as a loss. Right? He's willing to accept any collateral damage, anything that comes his way, as long as he accomplishes that mission and as, as long as the word of God is lifted high and Jesus' name is lifted high. Paul was the chosen instrument of God to bring the good news to the Gentiles. This was something that was 
it's hard for us to kind of realize what was happening because, you know, all the prophets that wrote about the Messiah coming wrote about it that he was bringing a kingdom and it was a kingdom for the people of God who were the Israelites. And these were kind of the insiders on the story. And all of a sudden, when Jesus comes, everybody misses it. And every, even the people that are close to him miss it, think he's about to come in as a king and rule things and do this kingdom. And he's crucified. And he dies. That's not the end of the story. He raises again. And the kingdom that he speaks of is not a kingdom um, of troops and armies and cities and walls. It's a kingdom that takes place in the hearts of those who follow him that has not yet come into its full light and fruition, right? So if I were to ask you today, and we've, we've kind of hinted at it, but the word says that we are to be ready and prepared to give an answer for anyone who asks us. If I were to ask anyone here today, what is the gospel? If I were to ask you today, what is the gospel? Could you respond and give me like, I don't know, a two, three sentence of what the gospel is? I'll actually do it. So somebody tell me, somebody tell me in a nutshell, what, what is, if, if, if this is the paradigm shift, if this is what changes our view, if this is what we focus on to the point where we can see something that is as big to us as suffering, if we're being honest, and we can see that and we can say, you know what, that's just light and momentary affliction. With truth in us, if, if that's what it is, what is this? So somebody in two sentences, let's, let's just fire it out. What is the gospel? Good. So, number one, that God loves us, right? God loves us. And you, you mentioned a path to him, eternity and salvation. Can we clarify, what is the path to God? Who? Okay, so Jesus, number one, came in our place, lived a perfect life in contrast to what? Our constant sin imperfection, right? And what was the, finish the rest of what you said. So why did Christ have to die? Why did he have to die? He died because someone had to pay. And how did, how did they have to pay, our Old Testament buffs? Through blood, right? That's what we talked about earlier, that it was by the shedding of blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins, right? That's the reason the priest was there. The priest was there because the only way the people could come and re- receive forgiveness was if there was an animal, a lamb, a dove, if you couldn't afford a lamb. That dove, that lamb had to be slain. It had to be killed so that its blood was shed on the altar, Right? And that blood that was shed was representative of the punishment that anyone who came should have received, all of us. That the punishment for that sin, that not living as God intended, living for our own desires, living for ourselves as God, living for other things, living for our own pleasure, that sin had to be paid by someone. In the Old Testament, it was the animal, right? You think we got it all? 
Is there anything else we can add to that? Yes. Okay, thank you. Yeah, why couldn't God just be like, you know what? Record's clean. Because God is what? You said a just God. And what, is, what does that word mean? What does just mean? Justified is what we are when we come into forgiveness, right? We're seen in right standing. Just means if I walk outside and there's a cop on that corner and there's a stop sign and I'm like, you know what, I'm late. And I just like burn through the stop sign and peel out. The cops, and I don't know, is cop like, is it a derogatory term for police officers? I don't know. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But I was just, because Ray said that, I was like, oh, I don't want to. So the police officer's job is to administer justice, right? Where there is a wrong, he can't let that wrong go unpunished in his sight. So his job is to make whoever committed it pay for it, right? Okay. Did we get it all? Are Are we confident in the gospel that we're putting together today? Okay. Okay. Okay, great. And there's a really important part that you mentioned, right? It's whoever. This is not just for the Israelites. It's not just for Americans. It's not just for us in this room, these walls, in this building. This is that whoever is in listening distance of this, whoever hears this gospel has the ability to accept this and receive eternal life because of Christ's sacrifice. Okay, good job. So, in verse 28, Paul kind of brings this to light. He says, he is the one we proclaim. So when we proclaim the gospel, we're not just proclaiming, a, and it is a set of beliefs, but we're not just proclaiming a set of beliefs like information to trans, transition to somebody else. We're proclaiming the person and work of Christ. He is the one we proclaim. He admonishing so that's warning the gospel carries a it carries a somber warning right if god is just and we're sinners there's a problem because we're on the other side of a just and holy god who created this entire universe limitless power at his fingertips and his breath and we carry something that cannot be in his presence sin he's holy If he's just, that puts us in a bad position. And it's important to realize, if you're hearing the gospel for the first time today, and you don't know Christ, you're in a bad place. But the reason it's good news is because you don't have to get out of this place on your own. God himself came in the flesh to take your place and my place so that our sin is not on our shoulders. It was once and for all on the shoulders of Christ. He paid for it completely. Paul didn't add one iota to that. We, with our good works, don't add one iota to that. It is all in Christ, and he is sufficient. Paul's suffering results from being poured out for the sake of other believers in the gospel. So the question we're posing is, How many of us in our heart of hearts today, before God, can say that 
we carry with us a readiness and a willingness to love others that way? Are we ready to love others and be poured out so that we might accept suffering to see them come to Christ? If the answer for that today is I'm not sure, if the answer for that today is yes, praise God, if the answer for that today within our hearts is no, that is between God and us. And God is merciful. He's forgiving. He longs to change our hearts if we would let him in. So if we find in ourselves today what could be considered a lukewarm faith, God's purpose today is not that we, that we would leave here with a lukewarm faith or no faith at all. Today is the day. Today is the day before his, his spirit that we can come before his throne. We don't need, you don't need me. You don't need a priest. We don't need to have a sacrifice up here. In your heart of hearts, you can come before the almighty God in his throne room and you can ask that he would change your heart Take out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Change lukewarmness for the heart of Christ, which is burning. It's on fire. Do you want that today? We can't be battery powered as Christians. I, have, I don't have my keychain with me, but I have on it like a little, it's by Swiss Tech. It's this little light that helps me find uh, my door lock when it's nighttime. And I can never get it and like, put the key in because it's dark and I'm fumbling with it. And the other night we went out to dinner and somehow, I must have sat on it or something, but I, I guess I pressed it so hard that it remained on. And I didn't realize it until it got dark out. And I saw it and I'm like, huh, you can't turn this thing off. And I was like, oh, all right, well. It was Friday night. Um, the next day I woke up, that thing's still shining, right? I'm like, wow. I mean, it's, o- it's only, it's like this big. And it has a watch battery in it. And I was like, wow, that's kind of impressive. That watch battery, good job, Energizer, lithium-powered. Um, I'm not advocating Energizer. It could have been Duracell, but I was really impressed. All day that night, I go to sleep, keys beside my bed, watch battery still going. I'm like, what in the world? This is amazing. The next day... You could barely see it. You know, it was like it had to be really dark and you could see it, but it was still on. And maybe you see the point I'm trying to make. We, we can't be battery-powered Christians. The only way that we could do something like this by God's strength, you know, be willing. Not, just, not able yet. We're just talking about willing. Willing to accept something like suffering. Paul's in prison. We're not in danger of being put in prison today yet in America. We don't know what's happening. We don't know where where the, the current is going. But the only way we could be willing to do that is if we were hardwired, right? And Jesus said it the best. In John 15, 5, he says, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Paul says that, and he he lists that. It's like he's giving a a formula to us. You know, the Holy Spirit through Paul is giving us a formula. Number one, this is not impossible. That we could face sufferings and have 
a spirit in us, not of us, of God, that could count it and rejoice. He gives us the path to it. And he says, you know what? You don't even have to change your heart yourself. You can just give me your heart, and I'll change it. Paul, in Colossians 1.29, says, To this end I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. We're getting close to closing. I, it's so easy to like, I don't know about for you, but for me to read something Paul wrote and really elevate him and be like, well, that's Paul, you know. Good job, Paul. That, I, I wanted to find a modern day example of somebody who would be following this example. Um, and I was reading this book. It's called um, The Meeting of the Waters. And it's, it's got a long title. I'm going to have to read it. And I didn't write it. Uh, it doesn't really matter. It's by a man named um, Fritz Kling. And I think it's the meeting of the waters, seven global currents that will propel the future church. Um, it was really impactful for me. He shares this story. And I kind of want to end with this. Um, he shares a story of a girl named Katie. And Katie is a Christian that lives in northeast China. Um, Katie lives and grew up right near the border. And I'm not a huge geography buff, so I don't know what the distance is, but between the border of northeast China and North Korea. Um, Katie had a strong aversion. Okay, She didn't really like North Koreans. She didn't want anything to do with them. But she felt God was calling her in some way, shape, or form to uh, provide ministry, to provide mercy to the North Koreans. Um, so Katie devised a plan. Um, Christianity is not something you advertise in North Korea because you get put in prison for being a Christian, for spreading the gospel, for having a Bible in your possession. You and your entire family will get put into a prison camp just for that. Katie got a rice noodle cooker or something like that and devised a small business where she could go into North Korea where there's in these uh, village camps outside cities, there's massive problems of starvation. They don't have enough food. So she would feed the people as a means to just gather them around or develop relationships and then share the hope of Christ with them. She would also have these little Bibles um, that were about, they said, the thickness of a matchbook. And she would bury them strategically in different places. And then after she shared with people, she would tell them where these Bibles are buried, like a treasure map. They would get them. And this was her strategy to kind of go under incognito in North Korea to spread the gospel. Um, her efforts were fruitful. In talking with her, the author, um, she mentions that as many as 20 families came to know Christ just through her efforts, right? We know it's not her efforts alone, but anyway. Um, later on, Katie says that it was probably too fruitful because word of what she was doing spread and the North Korean government officials came and captured Katie and one of the families who she shared the gospel with. They bring Katie to a kind of like, uh, what's the right word, like a detention center, and they interrogate her for five days a week, 15 hours a day. This is not a nice interrogation room, and this was not a nice interrogation um, I'm going to read this passage from her own words. She says, I knew I might be killed for activities that threaten the government. 
but I felt the presence of the Lord and laughed at the interrogator. Rule number one, you're being interrogated. Usually you don't laugh at the interrogator. The next phrase that she says is even more crazy. She says, for I knew he was a paper tiger. Okay. A higher ranking official heard about me and traveled to interrogate me. So she's still being interrogated. Somebody who's higher up hears about her, comes to interrogate her. Next sentence. I witnessed to him. To me, when I read that, I was like, that's unbelievable. Like, she's being interrogated for five days a week, 15 hours a day. This is a Christian living in, in northeast China right now. I witnessed to him. That's crazy. He asked me, do you know who I am? You must be crazy. I told him, no, I'm wise. He asked me, who's behind you, the United States or South Korea? And I answered, only my God. The official interrogated me day after day, but then he also began to bring me food because he saw I was losing my health. Katie's voice quickened, her eyes fixed on some distant point, and her words spilled out in excitement. On the night before my sentence, this is Katie speaking, would be handed down, I went to bed filled with gladness. I was certain I would be executed on the next day. And I was overjoyed to think of being lined up with the other martyrs. She says, I knew God would be so pleased. I would be dying in happiness. That's a reality for her, not because of her rice, crook, her rice noodle invention. That is a reality for her because she has come in contact with the one and only true living God. Like Katie, suffering for Paul and suffering for us can be and, and is ready to be an act of worship. It is an intimate identification with Jesus, our Savior. They expended themselves just like Christ expended himself in an energy that is not their own, did not belong to them, them, not because they're superhumans, but because they have the mind of Christ. Right before I close, I realized today that just in talking about suffering, that a lot of different experiences, um, perhaps tragedies, perhaps the loss of somebody is coming to our minds in this room right now. And there's, there's nothing that I could say that would speak to every situation in this room. But we have a God who in 2 Corinthians is listed as the God of all comfort, who comforts, who comforts everyone. He's the Father of compassion. So if in this talk of suffering, it kind of rekindled some things that you weren't expecting, as we pray, I just want you to lay that down before him and with the expectation that he will meet you. Okay, let's pray.